0: Hello everyone, this is the next episode of Creative Industry Radio and I couldn't be more excited for bringing you Dennis Dunbar. He is a retouching OG that started working in the retouching business back in 1991 and I guess that was about the time that I played with my first Game Boy and Dennis started as a photo assistant, worked as a photographer himself and got completely fascinated by retouching, made the transition to become a retouching professional. Dennis is also driven by making people better in retouching and sharing his enormous knowledge. He's a book author and writes articles on retouching on various platforms. A quick heads up, in the beginning of the conversation, we're nerding out on a wonderful project Dennis has been working on and what he's sharing with the creative family in the respective social posts to this episode. So make sure you check those out. If you want to skip that nerding out conversation, just jump to minute 12 where we start to take a look back on Dennis' amazing career. A few topics we're covering in this episode are how moving the moon made Dennis curious for retouching, how Dennis started working for Hollywood productions creating stunning movie posters, the importance of the business side along with the creative work, self-marketing tips for changing markets and the need to be ready to adapt, for example, that you market where your clients are and not where you think they are. AI and the Future of Photography, talking about in-painting and out-painting, which is a fascinating topic. And if you want to take that deep dive with Dennis and me, grab your airports and get comfortable at home, get ready to work out or take your dog for a walk, because we are getting started right now. Dennis, how are you? And it's amazing to have you here.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's amazing to be here. Uh, it's great to be interviewed with us, and things are good here. Um, we had some rain yesterday, so Los Angeles absolutely needs the rain, and today today's a beautiful day. The sun is out, and I'm inside working in my studio, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's exciting to um, let the people know that you live in California, in uh, Los Angeles. In, is it Santa Monica?
1: Yes Santa Monica's. it's on the west side of Los Angeles and the beach.
0: I guess that's uh where everybody would like to have a studio to work actually, so i can I guess you can call yourself a very lucky guy, right
1: yes i I keep thinking about this. you know people talk about uh reincarnation and all that, and I'm thinking like, you know what? I actually got really lucky with this life. I'm not so sure I'd want to roll the dice again. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get to do something i really love doing i i get to uh, meet interesting people like you i get to uh, talk about what i love to do i get to work on cool images i have a beautiful wife and and uh great daughters and i get to live in a beautiful place like man i, I feel like i really won the lottery
0: that's that's so nice to hear and uh well, you absolutely deserve it. You're doing a great job as far as I can tell. And I, I know a lot about retouching and I've been in the game for a long time. So I uh, really appreciate your being here. And uh, when when uh, I asked you to come to the show, um, I also asked you to bring your favorite image. And uh, that is because I would love to allow the audience to connect to you in in a in a special way because... The image has has or the images that you are uh, talking about um, have a special meaning to you. And may I ask you to describe to the audience what we are talking about, what we are looking at right now, and what the story behind those gorgeous shots is, and what makes those images special to you?
1: Uh, sure, sure. Uh, the the series of images I pick, I worked there's something I worked on for Paramount uh, a year ago. Uh, yeah, I think we were just in the thick of it about a year ago, uh, and it's for their 1883 uh, streaming show. <clears throat> it's supposed to be uh, the prequel to a popular show now called uh, Yellowstone, uh, so it's about how these family came, I think, to Wyoming and established their ranch in Wyoming and, and built it all in the late 1800s. And the thing that was really fun about this project was was a couple of things. For me, what makes a project really fun is—is is the art really cool? Do you look at it and you're like, "Wow, that's really beautiful art"? Glad I had a chance to work on it. And are the people you're working with uh, fun, creative people that are doing cool work at, that you enjoy working with? And this one really hit that on all all uh, points for that. So the 1883 project, um, it started off. Uh creative director I've known for quite a long time, extremely talented man, uh, Mark Weinstein. Uh, he's now in charge of all the print creative for Paramount Plus, the streaming side of Paramount. And uh, he contacted me, and uh, it started off as a conventional kind of a project. Um, nowadays, when you're working on something, especially if it's going to be used for uh, advertised, as art to advertise uh, streaming shows you'll make one big giant piece of art that's got a lot of extra canvas size, a lot of room around so they can crop it in different formats. Yes. So it started off, we were going to build one of these typical things like this and it had the cast standing there as a group. They had wagon trains and fires and stuff in the background and big planes, you know, lots of grass and stuff like that. It was going to be, you know, building all this out. And then they said, stop, wait, change your direction. (laughs) And about a week later, they came up like, okay, here's a new direction. And it's all going to be something that looks like it's shot in this old wet plate collodion, uh, tin type, uh, kind of look. And so the new direction, there were four stars for the show, but, uh, each of the four stars had a character poster. So it's a, a poster that w- featured them up close and there's a vertical and a horizontal version for each one. And then there's a, a group poster, so you had the four cast members all together uh, in a lineup, and then there's a vertical and a horizontal version for those. All right. And uh, the work we had to do on this was was for the character posters. Those were all shot uh, by one of Paramount's photographers using a wet plate photographic look. Uh, and the original shots were really beautiful. Of course, being entertainment stuff, The stars want some retouching things done on them. So there was the retouching done on that. It was approved. And what it really meant, uh, the great challenge creatively was how to dive into the shot and figure out what makes it have that, the nature of that look. What is it about it? uh, This old wet plate look that you uh, need to recreate and, and uh, keep the nature of that kind of look. So you don't, make it look like something that's too polished or too rough. Uh, You're trying to hit that mark just the right way. So it was a really interesting creative challenge. The art director had uh, created these uh, sort of borders. It's very typical for wet plate look. Uh, They had these uh, borders that they wanted around that looked like the chemicals that are leaking in, the lights leaking in here and there. Yeah,
0: And it looks amazing.
1: But those borders needed to be able to move independently of the image. Yes. So they couldn't be attached to the image. And I had to make it so that those borders could be rescaled and, and cropped in different ways. Because if you're typically like a, uh, a poster these days, a vertical image will have several different crops. It'll have uh, a movie poster will be 27 by 40. A uh, bus shelter will be a bigger size, but slightly different proportions. Then you have uh, social media. So there's four by five posts, there's one by one posts, there's nine by 16 posts. There's all these different sizes and the borders needed to be able to move and scale to fit each of these sizes. So everything looked like it was all a cohesive piece of art. So that was really the, uh, the fun challenge for these things. And then the one that was the group shot, uh, those were all shot with a conventional digital camera. And then we had to go, okay, how do we make these look like they're wet plate collodion kind of look for that? Uh, So it was not just the color, but it's also tickling in the right amount of like blur and messing it up enough with enough texture and things like that so that it looked like it could be believable for that. Uh, And you're always trying to walk that border for things because the entertainment studios really want the stuff to be clear and read really well but the art side they always want it to look really cool and artistic so you're trying to walk the borders between we absolutely have to recognize Faith Hill she has to be clear we have to see her face you know, we have to absolutely see that but then the wet plate side and the, the art side like, but she needs to look like it's really this wet plate thing so we need to add this blurted back there so, so you're kind of walking back and forth I, I, that I can border, see
0: a lot of iteration rounds and, and stuff like that
1: Yeah. so, so the, the entire project probably took a couple of months whatever wow. like that it was a really big project wow i was fortunate that uh i had a, a friend who's based in new jersey uh stewart toronto uh helped me out with that he he did a lot of work uh, like on extending backgrounds and and things like that so we kind of uh, played a little bit of divide and conquer i would give Stuart tasks to work on while i'm working on other parts of it uh, so we were able to get the work done pretty quickly but still it, it took a couple of months overall for that whole process. It was a lot of fun. And in the end, people loved the work. The creative team was really happy with the work. They were, the feedback and the support from them was always really good. And uh, it was just a great process all around. Very often we have to be thinking about what's the nature of this image? What's making it look authentic the way it is? And we have to be very flexible in our approach and in our understanding so that we're enhancing that nature rather than suppressing it and making it look like just every other piece of art.
0: Yes, it's, it's finding the, the fine balance of achieving um, the, the creative vision of the team, making it real, and um, like bending the boundaries of what is possible with the, all the technical uh, needs. Um, I know how that feels, and that's a really great approach and great work. So. Um, everybody uh, that is listening um, we will share this uh, series of images uh, in the episode post of uh, Creative Industry Radio with with Dennis and uh, Dennis thank you for sharing these wonderful images with the creative family and uh, everybody please make sure to check the Instagram posts uh, related to this episode and leave your feedback because Dennis and me we are super curious what you think and um, we appreciate your feedback on this Oh Yes,
1: it's, it's always great to see the comments people have and, and the questions they might have or whatever. Uh, quite often it also leads us to a little bit deeper understanding of what it is we're doing as well.
0: Absolutely. So, Dennis, um, if you don't mind, let's have a little look back on your career. And I would love to ask you, um, what, what were the crossroads in your career that made you become you? Well it
1: it's it's interesting because uh I always feel like um at different points in life something inside you is is calling you and and telling you to go in a certain direction and uh you may not know how you're going to get there uh but if you listen to that voice and find a way to to uh act on it uh it really can lead to some great things I remember reading in, in the early days of the Federalist News about this big scandal. National Geographic had uh, moved the use a computer to move the moon for one of their covers so that it would fit the crop of the cover better. And everybody's, said, oh me. my god, National Geographic <laughs> is lying about their images. And I I'm was like, you can move the moon? Wow, that's <laughs> cool. I got to learn about that. <laughs> that's a great and, story. And so I, I just started trying, you know, when I had downtime, I just started trying to learn and find out how do you do about, how do you learn about this? How do you learn about that or whatever? And so that kind of led to around the summer of 1990, it became the thing I was compelled to, to learn about. And in those days, there wasn't an internet, there wasn't, uh, schools for Photoshop, uh, Photoshop might've, you know, was just on the brink of coming out in those days and so I'm going through the telephone book and looking up like anybody I could find, calling up, trying to find anybody who could talk to me about this stuff.
0: Maybe we have to quickly explain to the audience, to the younger guys, what a telephone book is. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. You know, yes. That, that's way, the, way, back in, way back in the days. There were these phone booths outside, right? And, uh, or was it in America too that when you went to a phone booth, I like the the box where you could actually walk in to have a phone call, um, that they had the telephone book inside too? It was in Germany? Yes. Yeah, okay.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, they did. And, and they had white pages that had all the normal listings and then yellow pages that had the business listings. Yes. And uh, so I, I, spent, I spent many hours at my kitchen table uh, looking through the yellow pages and making notes and calling people up. And I, I finally found... Uh, a uh, a lab, a photo lab in uh, Los Angeles area, but the guy who ran a digital division for them uh, was called uh, was named Charles James, and uh, he w- he was you know a, a great guy, and he said, "Come on down, I'll, I'll show you everything you need to know." And his philosophy was, "The more I share, the more I'm growing clients because not only did they do retouching, but the bulk of their business was doing." Uh, drum scans and high resolution film outputs, Mm -hmm. uh, for, for their clients. So the more people, more clients they had who were using their services, the better they would do. And, And so he really had this idea about growing that, that group, uh, for that. So Charles gave me the, uh, first lessons. Uh, I paid like $200 an hour for, uh, six hours worth of lessons. Uh, there was a, uh, proprietary system called the Dyco Imaginator. And then there was uh, a Macintosh running uh, Photoshop and a, another program called Color Studio. Uh, and this was the summer of 1990. So I got so caught up in that, I realized like, well, now the only way I'm really going to learn is I have to get my own computer. And so um, that led to more research, trying to find a, a vendor it wasn't like you just walk into Apple Store now and uh, say, I, I need the highest-end iMac you have. You had to figure out, what applications do I need? What computer do I need to run that application? What equipment with that computer do I need for that? You know, What's a, what's a laser printer? Do I need a laser printer? What kind of scanners do I need? Uh, you know, What in heaven's name is a Wacom tablet. Yeah. Uh, so you had to figure all that out. So it took several months of research and in February of 90, 1991, I wound up signing a a, a lease to buy a, a a wicked fast Macintosh 2FX computer. I think the total price tag on on the lease was something like fifty thousand dollars.
0: Oh my God! Okay.
1: And uh, the the lease payments were like seven hundred fifty dollars a month, which was more than the rent on my apartment. And I was getting married. I I got married in June of '91. I started business in February of '91. And I got married in June of 91. I do not recommend starting a business and getting married the same year. It was quite stressful. Uh, but I, we made it work. Yes. And I remember in the early years, my, uh, my uh, uh, father-in-law set, sitting me down and saying, first thing you have to do is get rid of that damn computer and get a real job. Uh, <laughs> but I, I persisted. And uh, since I had worked with photographers as a photo assistant, I figured the best way to build a portfolio and build clients was to reach out to all these photographers on you and offer to do some retouching work for them. The work with JP Morgan, well, you know, turned into some more work and then uh, it turned out one of JP's uh, clients was Roger Corman, who was the king of the B grade movies like little shop, the original little shop of horrors, uh, death race, 2000 attack of the 50 foot woman, uh, all these uh, B-grade movies, Roger Corman was responsible for. And all the way through the late 1990s, uh, his studio was producing several films a a year, uh, all low-budget films, uh, but he needed posters done for all of them. And so in the early 90s, he wanted to transition from the old cut and paste and airbrushing to doing something digitally. And so JP said, Here's Dennis. That's what Dennis does. <clears throat> so, for about 10 years, I wound up uh, doing all the retouching on the movie posters for Roger Corman. And uh, Roger's business model was uh, he hired a lot of freelance people. I was one of the freelance people he hired, but uh, he hired a lot of uh, freelance art directors, and designers. And the designers would design the poster, design the look, and then they would give me a, a, a printout and say, Okay, here are all the elements to use and here's here's just a, a laser a laser copier printout uh, for you to follow and now you got to go build this poster and so i met a lot of different art directors there and after working with roger for a year or two years or whatever those art directors would go on to work for some other ad agency well of course you've that meant you're just expanding your network because you're always meeting new art directors and the art directors you're working with and Forming relationships with are going on to work at other agencies. So that kind of led into being able to work on movie poster stuff. And somehow, when I was just starting out in photography, I would look at movie posters like, man, I would love to work on movie posters someday. That would be so great. And somehow I got lucky enough to stumble into things where that's one of the things I do for a living. So so I found myself very lucky for that. So that that led to the to the work in movie posters and uh, the relationships with the photographers led to uh, doing more work with photographers on ad campaigns and beauty shots and things like that. So it's been a wonderful mix of, of uh, projects that I get to work on.
0: Excite- it's super exciting. And I think um, especially what you just mentioned, um, how you got into this, especially how you got into first as a first mover into digital editing. That's a tough move um to to yeah a lot
1: of a lot of photographers thought i was crazy uh to do so and they told me uh several of them like what what do you do why why are you going to do that and uh a mentor of mine uh this, this uh photographer william james warren um he just turned 80 uh he's still a very close family friend he's how i met my wife uh we were both assisting him in his office and William would composite things by hand in the dark room and make these really elaborate images or whatever uh for that and one day when I was working for him he came and introduced me to uh, Amy so this is Amy she's going to teach you how to do all that work in the dark room and that was how we met and in so when room. I got into doing the retouching work William was like why name his name would you ever want to just become a computer jockey following somebody else's orders for that and Now, to this day, William will call me up frequently like, "Uh, Dennis, how do you do this again in Photoshop? (laughs) So so I I was told I was crazy to do this many times, but it it was just something I was completely compelled to do. I I couldn't resist it. I I had to do this.
0: I feel you. And um, but what I would love to know is, um, did you ever in your professional career, did you struggle? And what got you out of that situation? if so. Oh, oh,
1: yes. And, and in one way or another, the struggles never really cease, Do they, uh, you know, in, in the beginning the struggle was to, to learn and to become good enough that, that people would actually pay you to do this work and, and give you more work yeah. uh, for it. So the learning process was the first struggle. Uh, learning to run a business was another struggle. Um, It's something that that is not taught very well. And I would think uh, colleges and universities would be very good to make sure anytime, especially when they're teaching people about creative careers, teach them about the business side as well. Because you can be the best artist in the world. You can be the most creative person in the world. But if you don't get the business side down, you're not going to uh, thrive. You're not going to be able to uh, support yourself for very long. Uh, and then there's always the uh, struggle about making sure you you get enough work, keeping up the marketing yes. for that. Um, I've had several friends in, in who've run their own businesses in various uh, various industries, uh, and one of the biggest lessons has always been to never become complacent. Never think I finally arrived at a place where I don't need more clients. I don't need to think about marketing myself. I can just rely on word of mouth and I don't have to do that work anymore because every single friend of mine who has been in that position and you know, like, I've got the one or two clients that keep me busy all the time. I'm making really good money. Uh, something happens and one of those clients goes away and all of a sudden, like, oh my Lord, I'm having to sell the house. I'm having to sell the car. I'm starting over again. And I don't know what, what to do. Uh, I knew a lot of photographers in the uh, late uh, 1980s and, and 1990s that made really, really good money in stock photography. Uh, until Getty and Corbis got involved, uh, you could make $100,000 or more easily in stock photography because you were going out and shooting images that that uh, clients would need for advertising, but they didn't want to commission a, a a specific photo shoot for. So you'd go out and shoot, like William, uh, the photographer I met my wife through, he would go out and shoot roads and mountains and sunsets and composite them together uh, for inspirational images or something like that that had a broad enough uh, usage that a lot of different ad campaigns would, would use that. And so then the licensing fees for these stock images would be quite a lot of money, several thousand dollars for each one. Where it might cost them twenty thousand dollars to have a photographer go out and shoot that, for five thousand dollars they could license an existing image for that and get exclusive use of it for a certain amount, length of time or whatever. Yeah. So a lot of these photographers made really good money for that, but the market changed, and that went away. And now they're getting you know like woohoo I got I got two dollars licensing from Adobe for this uh, for the stock image I, I sold. Yeah, you know, so so all that business model went away, and if you're not ready to adapt and shift and and change with what the market wants, you're not going to thrive for a long time. So so there's always challenges.
0: Absolutely, and
1: huh. uh, I think that's one of the things that's that's actually the um, fun part about this. Uh, for it. it's not it's not fun to hit your head against the wall and wake up and like oh my lord I'm never getting another job clients you know, suddenly don't like me or I'm too old and nobody's going to want to hire me for work again. Uh, That's not really fun, but meeting that challenge and having to keep yourself fresh and renewed all the time leads to greater enjoyment of the work you do and you wind up uh, being in a much better position to thrive because of it.
0: Exactly. So may I ask, that you mentioned um, it's very important to stay on top of things and to learn how to market yourself. How has that changed for you over the course of your career, marketing for yourself?
1: Uh, the basic principle is, is always the same. It's how do you keep your name in the minds of people who can hire you and give you the jobs you want for the fees you need to be paid? And uh, so the basic principle has stayed the same the way you do that is always shifting around. Uh, now social media is a much bigger role in that than it was maybe five years ago. Um, and the interesting thing about social media is, um, since I'm not a, I'm not getting paid as an influencer, I'm not posting a million pictures of myself on Instagram, going to exotic places or whatever and getting paid by companies to just post pictures using their products. Um, I have to go to where the clients are Uh, and the clients are in all these different places. For instance, if I post something about a movie poster on Instagram, that will get a lot of likes, but I'm not seeing a lot of uh, calls for work from that. Mm -hmm. But if I post that same, the same movie poster images on LinkedIn, that's where the network of people who, who hire me to do the retouching work on the movie posters seem to see that image. And then I will notice I'm like, Oh, if I regularly post here, I'm getting a lot more consistent work from the entertainment agencies, uh, working on, on movie posters for them. So that's a great place to post that. Um, so you have to figure out which part of social media those people are, are hanging out at and how you can reach them. Um, I've also started doing more regular email blasts. So I have a guy, uh, working with me that, that helps uh, prepare them. And we have a mailing list. So every couple of months or so, it's like, okay, let's pick an image. Let's write the thing and then send it out and track how many people are opening it. See what kind of responses you're getting from that. Um, I've always done uh, writing articles uh, for that. But recently I've started uh, publishing articles on uh, Substack. Substack is a blog site where you can upload your own email, your own mailing list. And every time you publish an article, it will go out to that mailing list. Mm -hmm. And then you also get links that you can post around in your various social media stuff. So I started in the early summer and I just published my third article, I think last week or week before last for that. But each article is getting like 5,000 views, which is pretty amazing to me that I'm getting that many views. Somebody like me getting that many views. And I'm always seeing notices from them like, Oh, You've added more subscribers. You've added more subscribers for that. Right. So, so that's but- another way for keeping the mind of, of people uh, who, would, who would hire you for their work. And then there's also the, just the plain old, um, old-fashioned networking. So uh, it's going to conferences and meeting people and making contacts with things. Uh, I was just at uh, Adobe Max a few weeks ago. And Russell Brown, who's an amazing creative uh, person and a very entertaining educator, uh, had a pre-conference class, and one of the speak, you know, his pre-conference class was about making movie posters, and the theme was Viking movie posters. So it was a lot of fun. It was right in my wheelhouse, and I, you know, attended the class mostly to help out other students. But one of the speakers, Russell, had come in. Is the head of creative print finishing for one of the entertainment agencies, and I hadn't met him before. So, like, here's my chance to go and meet Michael and and make a connection with Michael. So that was well worth the uh, the cost of admission for the uh, for that. Even if I just make that one connection, because Michael could bring me several thousand dollars worth of uh, retouching work on on the posters this company works on. That's so. Great. That's great th- advice. The, the marketing thing is is all of the above, and do it as consistently as possible. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think um, the consistency is the key. And um, bringing value to to your audience, not just showing only images, right? But also giving something back, like you say, going to um, write about what you do, give some insights and also let your clients see how you think and how you work can be a very good idea.
1: Yes. And one of the things that I would highly advise anybody who is trying to, do marketing like email marketing or some sort of thing like that. Um, one of the things that I, I do, uh, I need to get back into it because I haven't done it for quite a while, but I would reach out to uh, photographers and clients who I would love to work with. I'll Scan through the internet and like look up stuff and try to find people like, wow, I really love this person's work. I want to work with him. And I would send them an email to introduce myself, but I get a lot of emails from all over the world, people selling me on their on their products or their services. Here, we can do SEO thing for your website or whatever like that. And I look at this like, do you have any clue about me? Do you have any idea who I am and what's different about me from everybody else? Yeah. And the emails are always starting off with always about themselves. So when I'm sending out a marketing email and trying to reach out to an individual or to a group of people, you try to make it about them. About what value you know? Uh, if I'm sending it to an individual photographer, I will comment on their work and tell them what I like about their work before I talk about what I do. Who doesn't want to hear from a, from a fan? Who doesn't want to hear from somebody like, "Wow, you think my work is beautiful? Dang, that's really nice to hear. I want to read this email. That's much better than I can do retouching work for you. Send me this off my rate is X. No, nobody's going to be interested in that kind of a Absolutely. All. and so, everybody knows so that how you how you craft your message yes. is important when you're doing marketing because if it's all about you you're not going to reach as many people as if you make it about sharing value like an article or a, or a tip or if you make it about them the audience the people you're trying to reach because they're going to be far more interested they're like oh this is how it relates to me
0: yes that's really good advice but before we move on i wanted to ask you one question on a on a certain project because it struck my eye when i checked your website and uh you have been working on on a movie poster for example for Witch project which which became a huge viral hit back in the 1999 and were you aware of that insane viral campaign that they created and what was it like to be part of such a project that became such a media hit?
1: That, that, was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, you know uh, the connection for getting that working on that uh, came from the Roger Corman days. Um, in the early days of working for Roger Corman, one of the uh, art directors who did design work for him was this guy, Mark Crawford, an incredibly talented uh, man. And uh, his wife, Karen, is also an incredibly talented person. She was always on the client side. Or in the beginning, she was always on the client side for this. So she was working, uh, running the, the uh, creative print division, I think, for Artisan, uh, one of the movie producing studios. And um, the art itself was a lot of fun to work on. You know, uh, it was all about the shadows, we had, we had the, the shadowy forest up above and then the woman's uh, head in the bottom. And it was all about the shadows coming up on her face. And with Photoshop, when I'm trying to paint those shadows in, every single thing I was doing was creating this banding look. Mm-hmm. And you could see the distinct steps or whatever. I just could not get that to be smooth at all. But when I brought it into live picture and used the 16-bit paint with that, it came out buttery smooth. It was just beautifully done. That. So, you know, that was a lot of fun, like having to bounce back and forth between programs and figure out how do I solve this issue whatever. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun for that. And I didn't know anything about, about the film itself. You you know, like, here's here's a piece of art to work on and they don't show you the film or whatever. You often don't know much about the film.
0: Oh, so you didn't know about the, the whole marketing idea of the.
1: Well, Well, th- this this was the beginning of the marketing, but yeah. I, d- I didn't know about, I didn't know the I never watched the film. I don't think I've even seen the film yet. Oh, uh, no I'm really okay for that but but you know once we did this thing, started hearing about how it became this viral campaign like wow, this is really something I worked on became such a viral hit. it was it was really quite exciting for that And, and to this day somebody like you were like, wow, you worked on that big hit? like but yeah, that was a lot you know that was quite a fun pro- project for that. but like at the time you first starting out on it, you have no idea that's going to happen. And then when it does happen, like wow, this is really cool to, to watch this
0: take off like that. Absolutely, because I remember being in the movies, seeing that 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 insane uh, like idea of of a movie, and it, I was scared so much when I watched that movie. And uh, I we in Germany we barely knew about the campaign that they made in the U.S. Um, with all the leaflets and with um i think also the the was it that in uh, at that time um uh, missing pe- missing persons were printed on milk uh packages yes. right yes and uh, so that they made up this story about uh, this missing uh people that were filming this this uh this documentary about the the Blair Witch, the the original Blair Witch, and that they were not found, and that the footage was found, and that they were missing, and so if I'm if I'm not wrong, uh, I think people in the in the in the states were kept believing that this has been a real case.
1: Yes, yeah. In, in, in the be, in the beginning, that was the marketing campaign. Like, this is a real thing. They, they really followed. Like, oh my god, what is this? what is this true? And brilliant stroke of marketing I I do not know who came up with that idea but it was absolutely brilliant uh, brilliant marketing campaign yeah
0: I I loved it and so I was curious about what that experience was like so thank you for sharing this let's let's have a quick view into the future before we get a little interactive and uh, finish off with the quick fire questions Um, let's talk about what do you think uh the future of the creative industry might look like? Where will we be in 5 to 10 years? What are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, that that is a uh a big question. I know. Uh,
0: I know. But I, let's let's I, narrow it down a bit. Um what's your take on for example um AI and the services like Midjourney or Dali and those kind of things, and what do you think photographers and research artists, and also art directors, have to expect? And how that how is the possibility of change and new perspectives in this?
1: That that's that's a great question. Um, I I see AI art is uh, evolving rapidly, um, and as with any as with any kind of creative outlet any sort of uh, way of, of creating imagery or any sort of a, a product like that um there's multiple aspects about it one is um the tool itself how you create the image and the kind of images you can create for that uh, the other is um is how you use those images uh for that and then um, how clients can use those images uh, for that. So I think the tools for the AI art are evolving really rapidly. The quality of the art is getting much better for that. Um, I, I don't see it as replacing photography uh, on the whole uh, right now. Um, It might, replace a lot of the lower end usage uh things where somebody might use a stock image you know might go to uh shutterstock.com or something like that and find an image and like here we'll, we'll buy this image for five dollars and we'll use it in our in our uh, flyer or our brochure some sort of thing like that you you might find those kinds of uses being filled more with ai uh generated imagery yeah for that um the people using them are, it strikes me as, as the, the person writing the prompts is more playing the role of art director than artist. And what I mean by that is um, when an ad agency is creating an ad campaign, uh, the account people kind of say, here's what our client's looking for. The creative director will manage the team of designers or art directors and kind of say okay here we need a bunch of images like this and then the art directors uh, start coming up with different ideas and trying to uh, come up with uh, descriptions and and ways of communicating an idea that they can then turn over to an illustrator or to a photographer to create the actual piece of art. Yeah. So I've I've worked with a lot of art directors over the years um, and they Late 1990s to the early 2000s, I had a partnership with a photographer. We were going after doing some uh, uh, advertising photography work. And the idea was, you know, working together, we could create composite imagery or whatever. So the one job that we did get was something for a uh, a surfing game. Uh, and it is a video game for surfers or whatever like that. I don't remember the name of the product. But uh, the ad agency, the art director had found a stock shot of uh, like a, a coastline where, where you see the road going along the curving edge of the, of the uh, coast and some big waves hitting there. And they said, are, are we crazy? But can we come up with something where it looks like there's, you know, all this um, huge traffic on one side of the road, traffic jam backed up for this. There's a big storm coming up, maybe a tornado or something like that. in in the uh, distance for this. The waves are crashing on this. And then there's the one crazy SUV with the surfboards on top driving towards the storm because they want to surf. And so that was their description to us. So we took their stock image and did other searching and found stock images we could use, did some photography and composite all this stuff together. and, And they loved that campaign. But the art director's role was describing to us the concept that he had in mind, that's exactly what you do when you're working on uh, artificial intelligence images, AI images. You're writing in prompts. You're like, I want, you know, a little girl holding a suitcase with a uh, green background in the style of this artist. Yeah. And you might come up with, you know, sophisticated terms, high resolution, photo or whatever. But you're typing it in, and the system itself is creating the image. You're not creating the image. You're directing it. Exactly. So the ownership of the images is really wide open. So far here in the U.S., the the courts have held that artificial intelligence images cannot be copyrighted. Uh, it's because a human being did not create them. Uh, the business implications for that means it's going to be extremely difficult for uh a uh, a company hiring somebody for an advertising campaign to want to use an image that their competitors can use without consequence you know I suppose i come up with the with the perfect shot of a of a bird to show how my pharmaceutical uh product leads to freedom or whatever like that and then i find out oh that just became the standard photo for all the competing products as well like exactly that's not going to serve me that's in any a very way.
0: good that's a very good point
1: so, so the, the for the higher end uses of it I think the artificial intelligence stuff is going to be difficult to use where I do see it being used and I, I see this could be extremely useful is one of the things that is common when um, creating photographers or, or artists or, or art directors or agencies whatever they create what they call mood boards uh, they collect a bunch of images They kind of have the mood or the feeling they're trying to communicate as inspiration for um, what they want to do for that. And then they'll go off and they're not going to copy those images, of course, but they're going to use them as a way of of creating something new because they're inspired by this. It's the same process for, you know, artists learn about art by going to museums or now on the Internet and looking up the old masters and things. And, you know, how did Rembrandt like this? How did... uh, uh, what was Salvador Dali's uh, perspective on these things? How can I come out with my own version of this? So I think AI art will be very, very useful for mood boards. Another really cool thing for uh, AI art, which I hope um, keeps evolving really quickly, is the idea of, um, at, at Russell Brown's class, Uh, at Adobe Max, uh, a friend of mine, Micah Burke, he's a designer in Stockton area here in California. Uh, He gave a presentation on AI and he talked about two uses for it, which are two tools for AI, which are really useful. One is called in-painting, where (laughs) you take an image and you say, you block out an area, you select an area and say, here, put something else here or remove this object or whatever like that. And right now, Photoshop has content-aware fill, but it's very dicey whether or not it's going to be really what you need. Exactly. For an AI-driven version of that, where it understands the nature of the image, getting back to our talk about retouchers, having to understand the nature of the image, an AI tool that understands the nature of that image will give you a much better result for that. So that's in-painting, and that can be really super useful, like... You know, we've got all this stuff, but we have to remove the car. We have to remove the cow. We have to add a building in it. The in-painting thing could, could do all that stuff yeah. quite well, which could be really exciting. The other thing is called out-painting, and that's where you're going beyond the edges of the image. So like I said, um, that uh, 1883, the wet plate collodion shots, the one for Sam Elliott, where it was shot in close. So we didn't have all of his hat. We didn't have his shoulders. We didn't have anything below like the breastbone uh, for him. Uh, you could use out painting to here. Let me select a section. Give me what that looks like. I'm going to select another section. Give me what that looks like and build that out with AI art. And that could be really super, uh, super useful. So I'm oh, really right. excited about that.
0: Yeah. You getting some me of the excited now. Uh,
1: demos that, that Micah showed in that class were, were pretty incredible. Like, you know, like, here, here's an image where the top of somebody's head with wearing a crown is cut off. And like it gave me not only the top of their head, but the crown. And it looks quite believable. The detail is really good.
0: Yeah, and it can be a starting point, you know, to finish uh, with, with uh, our abilities. But um, it's, if it would understand, for example, the um, proportions and the dimensions of something, uh, it could lead to uh, very good starting points doesn't have to be exactly. perfect but it would help you certainly to um to save time and to maybe also uh, get the pers- perspectives right uh, immediately that would be a huge help so that would be actually great to see yeah i think so too um my my take on that is that ai is something i had you know recently i've been um talking to many people about that topic and uh, also in my last episode with pratik uh we we were talking about ai and uh, the usage and i think it's another tool in the repertoire of an artist it doesn't replace photography or retouching as long as people want to see man-made pictures or human-made pictures and um it's going to be uh it's going to be interesting to to see how fast it develops and especially what you just said would be a a very useful uh scenario for for artists like you and me to to improve our work or to be faster or more efficient but it certainly wouldn't replace us um I would never say that you know things can change but um it and it and it will be uh developing faster than we think uh, if you see what happened over the last couple of months uh, with Midjourney for example I've been following this quite um quite deeply um it, it was very exciting to see how it advanced from the beginning to version 4 now. But imagine what that's going to look like in five to ten years and how smart these systems will be uh, in, at that time. And um, so this in-painting, which you just said, I, I saw briefly about it. And I'm quite excited too because that can be, I don't know, changing the course of how we work drastically. And that can be very exciting and it can be embraced because it you know can give you more freedom to be creative and not to be stuck with a technical issue.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um two, two other things I would I would add. One is uh, a friend of mine, Renee Robin, who's uh an amazing creative person, uh uh and just a great person all around, uh in a discussion about AAI art, one of the things that she said uh was With all of these things that become, you know, the the various games you're playing on Facebook or or social media or whatever, and all these things where where they're crowdsourcing the usage of it, you're training it in some way, and it's great. Like we're helping train it to be a better tool. But she said, "But what else is that massive database going to be useful for?" We saw in uh, in 2016 the uh, use of uh, analytic data being used to figure out how to manipulate people on social media in elections. What words can we use to sway these particular people? What, How do we phrase a comment, whatever, to uh, get them to agree with our position? Uh, now imagine you have an entire culture that has spent millions of hours telling you about their inner thoughts through the images they're creating, how much more information are you give them, giving them to manipulate you in, in some manner into following something like that? It feels like, oh, you know, like, oh, this group really likes images like this. And we're learning about their intellect, their, their uh, psychology mm-hmm. through, through this process. Now we're building up a database where when we want to exercise control or sway them or convince them of something, it's much easier for us to do that. So that's one aspect. But back to the creative industry aspect. The other thing is, I think the better the tools get, the harder it's going to make the low end of the uh, industry to find a living in. Because um, when everybody has access to the tools, you have so many more competitors on on the low end. So the $5 headshot retouching, you can find that anywhere in the world, and you're going to work like a slave to... Make a few pennies for that. Uh, same thing with uh, with photography. If I'm like, you know, oh great, you know, I'm going off to shoot this thing, and they're going to pay me fifty dollars, and it's going to take me all day to do the shoot. And I'm so great. They're using it in a magazine, whatever, like that. You're always going to be struggling and having a difficult time making a living because you're going to have a million competitors all trying to beat you on price and, and try to just get that opportunity. If you aim at the high end, though. You're going to find the tools help you and you have less competition and you have a better chance of thriving. So the real challenge for somebody learning about retouching is going to be how do I find the high-end markets I can access and work in where I will get paid what I really want to get paid, I will get the jobs I really want to kind of get, and I will be able to thrive and succeed as an artist and as a business person and have a good life. And I think AI will help you with that. It's not going to replace you with that. But on the low end things, AI might wind up replacing a lot of the images we might wind up working on. You know, How many photographers now get get hired to photograph a uh, a bottle of a product on a white background? A million people in any one city could shoot that image. But yeah. if you, you know, an image with a concept, oh, that's where the photographers are getting paid really well to do. So it's going to be the same thing with what we're doing
0: exactly that's a really really good point and uh, i i uh, think that's the that's the um that's the sentence that everybody should listen to to get started and think about how to implement this to achieve high end goals and to go for you know, that's always the thing right if you if you have to compete um on the money end there's always someone that wants to go bankrupt faster than you and if, if you aim for finding new solutions or tapping into new territories and you're brave enough, like you back in the days when you said that, hey, I'm going to buy that computer and I go into digital. Um, that's the same thing. You have to see what technology brings and you have to adapt to it. And then you can see and find new chances. But you have to do those steps into the unknown, find your way, get used to this, I think. And then um, try to find new innovative uh, ways of how to um, bring value to your clients.
1: Good good point, good point.
0: Hey, um, um, I wanted to implement a tradition into this show where I um, have a question from my previous guest for my actual oh. guest right now. And so I asked Pratik uh, last time, uh, for a question and he didn't know who, who he would ask this question, but I'm happy to present it to you. And, um, Pratik asked, what would you do if you couldn't do what you're doing right now?
1: Man, that, that is a great question. Um, if I, you know, I, I, I think about this a lot, um, because you realize like how, uh, how tenuous your your hold, how fragile your hold on what you uh, do, what you love, could be. So, you know, what would happen if something happened to my eyes and I, I couldn't see well anymore? Uh, it would make it very difficult to be a, a visual artist or a retouch or whatever. Um, so what other things, you know, would you do if you couldn't do that? Um, I think for me... Uh, it might be something really interesting with, with sound mm-hmm. uh, uh, because I've always, I've always thought sound was very interesting and uh, in a lot of ways it's, it's related uh, to us with, you know, like light sound is, is wavelengths and, and you get detail and, and uh, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, things like that from sound. So I think it might be try to explore some sort of way of doing something with sound it might also be uh doing something with storytelling um when my kids were really young i have two daughters they're now 28 and 24 um but when they were really young i would tell them bedtime stories and uh you know they're always uh it, i i told the stories in the way that uh like reading lewis carroll uh struck me you read lewis carroll with uh, with uh uh under the looking glass, uh, you know, through the looking glass with Alice and Wonderland and all that stuff. Uh, you Kind of get the feeling that Lewis Carroll is, is telling you a story. He just gets into the mind flow and then whatever pops into his head at the moment is, is what he's incorporating into the story. There's not coming out with somebody with a plan in the beginning. And here's my linear thing. And I've got an arc. I've got a reach. He's just exploring this world that he's creating in his mind. And so, it would be kind of fun to like figure out how to tell stories along those kind of lines and uh, see if there's some sex, you know, something I could do with that. But uh, yeah, I, I would dearly hate to uh, lose being able to do what I do now because I, I love it so much. And, and uh, you know, can't imagine wanting to retire or st- stop doing it. If I hit that $2 billion lottery that, that somebody won a couple of days ago here in California, um, they just wouldn't worry about yeah Two, two billion dollars. Uh, and
0: one person won that.
1: Yes, one person won a $2 billion thing. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's it's mind-boggling. But if I hit something like that, I would keep doing what I do. I just It would be great not to have to worry about bills anymore. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you know, like, you know what? If I have a slow week, I don't care. I'll go yeah. You'll know, play with images for myself. But I still get to work on cool things, and I'm not worried about can I pay the mortgage.
0: Isn't that exciting that you would do the same thing? I have the same feeling that... It's- you could wake me up in the middle of the night and i'm happy to retouch on an image if it's a good one of course but no seriously yes. but that is it's such an a, pla- uh, a, a privilege to work on or actually to have some some profession that you can call your passion and it's i'm i'm really grateful for that and i can see that and i can hear that in you and uh, throughout the whole conversation that we have so that's that's a great way to Finish the the main part of uh, the podcast, and I would love to jump yeah, it, into it. It's a
1: great question from Pratik, I, and leave it to yeah. Pratik to ask such a uh, such a great question. He's he's a, a really good friend and a delightful person to uh, he is talk. Yes,
0: absolutely, and uh, it is uh, a pleasure to um, have you around, and to I love the the community that we have. Although we you know we never met in person, but uh, it's it's an amazing space to actually have that exchange.
1: Uh, one of the things I'm constantly amazed at is that we are so very fortunate to live in a time when being a nice person actually wins. You know, there was always that saying here in America, nice guys finish last. Like, well, now nice guys actually are, are winning because, you know, who you are as a person is so much, uh, is every bit as important now as, um, uh, the power position you have, or the particular skill you have for that, and uh, you know, nice guys like Bratik or or myself, are like. Wow, we actually succeed because people, you know, view us like, oh, you're you're a nice person to be around. I like being there, so yeah. I feel very fortunate in that aspect again.
0: So, how about we jump into the the um, quick fire questions, and I would just give you the question you answer in in a very short sentence. And okay, well, you know with me mean? that's going to be a challenge. What would be your statement on a large billboard if you could print one?
1: My statement on a large billboard if I could print one.
0: You know, what would you say for the people to? What would be the the sentence or the
1: um the tagline? Getting back to that nice people thing, uh be kind.
0: Yeah, I think kindness is a superpower. What is
1: your favorite fun hobby my favorite fun hobby um, I got recently back got back into uh, doing photography. Uh, I spent thirty years focusing on retouching and might have you know camera of some sort or whatever hanging around but never really seriously went out and tried to create good photos for a very long time and uh, last summer, my wife and I went on a uh, photo workshop with uh, that Renee Robin and Curtis Jones taught in Newfoundland. And that re sparked the love of going somewhere and trying to take good photos and a lot of rust to knock off, a lot of work to do to, to get the skills back up. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting in, in, you know, back into loving that and just having a great time with that. That's,
0: that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. so, what could the next generation do better than you?
1: Oh Lord, all, all sorts of things. Uh, next generation of, of retouchers uh, might be uh, better trained as traditional artists. Uh, I've got passable drawing skills, passable at, at best. I've had to practice that and, and teach myself about drawing. Um, when it comes to analyzing color, uh, color palettes and color grading, um, having to teach myself about that. So if I had a traditional, if I'd gone back to college and gotten a degree in art, uh, where they teach you drawing and color palettes and things like that, I think I could be a, a stronger retoucher in those aspects or have an easier time doing the work that I do now. Uh, so I, I think those are things that, that, hopefully the next generation will be better at than I.
0: What do you believe in that others might call crazy?
1: Um, Optimism. I've always, I've always had a great need to feel optimistic about things. So, you know, uh, particularly these days with politics and elections and all the stress stuff going on with that, um, something inside me, um, Always has has a uh, sense of optimism that we're going through a troubled period now, but we'll come out of it in a better place in in the future, and people will come back together.
0: Yes, I think we have that in common uh, a lot. I love to be optimistic. And I loved, by the way, I love the podcast of Simon Sinek. Have you heard about that? It's called A Bit of Optimism. It's a a great one. And I love his thoughts on leadership and uh, being kind, actually. So that's a wonderful podcast to listen to while working and uh, keeps you uplifted. And he has great interviews there. I will look that up. Thank you. What or which celebrity or band would you like to meet and why? Um, You know, for for a long time, uh,
1: when I was working as a photo assistant, one of the... uh, One of the studio managers that I I worked with was this uh, big old uh, Texas uh, bred guy, uh, Charlie. Charlie was a big man, very imposing presence, super nice guy. Uh, And he talked about running into uh, B.B. King in an airport one time. (laughs) I walking up to him and just saying, thank you. Thank you for, for all the wonderful music you've created and what this meant for me. And so for the longest time I thought, what a great thing. And like BB King was one of my idols. I would have just absolutely loved to have met him and uh and be able to uh say thank you to him for that. So um I love the idea that's the name saying, that comes to my head, but it's no longer possible since B.B. King is no longer with us.
0: But anyhow, I I love the idea of you know just approaching this person and say thank you. Because so many people just walk there and want to take pictures and ask, I don't know, brabble something. But actually being thankful or grateful of what they gave you is a wonderful idea. And I, I love that.
1: Yeah, I, I I often think that the, you know, here in Santa Monica and Los Angeles, uh, it's, it's not unheard of, you know, a couple of times a year to have a celebrity sighting of your own, you know, like you, there are a lot of well-known people in, in the LA area. So you might run into them somewhere. And I remember when my uh, younger daughter was was very young. She might was maybe like six years old or so. I uh, took her to a movie uh, in a movie theater. And uh, behind us, I heard a, a voice that sounded familiar. And I turned around and, and looked, trying to be very casual. And there's Tom Hanks with his young son. <laughs> and they're going to see the same movie we're going to see. And so I kind of like, Nodge my daughter, like, you know, Katie. Like, like, there's Tom Hanks behind us, but like, we just let him be a human being, you know, without being hounded by anybody. Just like, like, you know, if you're that kind of stature of person, you want to have some sense of a normal life, right? Of you course. don't want to have people flooding you everywhere. It's it's nice on occasion to get accolades, and you know, if I go to uh, if I go to like Adobe Max and somebody says, "Oh, you're Dennis," I'm always like, "That's great," but I'm not getting hit by that. 24 hours a day every every day of the week i can only imagine what these you know true stars are are getting and you know a lot of times you just want to let them be a human being and and have their life
0: what are your three favorite apps on your smartphone three favorite apps on the smartphone um
1: yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to say the obvious social media ones because those are probably the ones I use the most.
0: <laughs> Pratik just said the same thing. Actually, he said that I would call social media, all of them, as one app.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's I think that's a good good uh, thing. Um, the other thing is, uh, I, I I love the maps apps when we have to drive somewhere or we're traveling somewhere. Um, it is just so freeing to not have to uh, worry about the navigation aspect. Yeah. about It's about so freeing. That. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up reading maps. My wife is a map lover. She loves to look at maps and stuff. So before before we had these GPS devices in our hand, uh, we'd even be driving up to Sacramento to see her, where her mother lived at the time, uh, she would get the map out and every 20 minutes, like, okay, we're here, we're coming out to this city, whatever, she loved that. So, you know, I'm perfectly fluent with reading maps and figuring things out with that. But it's just so much less work and so much more freeing to be able to uh, type in a destination and then have let it figure out with traffic and various things what the most efficient way to get there is. It's like, wow, I don't have to know my shortcut. <laughs> it may take me a different way every time, but I got there faster than I thought I would, or yeah, easier. Exactly. Or when we went to Newfoundland, and never been to that part of Canada, never been to you know those cities at all, would have been completely lost. How do we find the hotel? How do we find the location where the group's supposed to meet? That that was so freeing. So I, I think the GPS, uh, the map apps, is really helpful.
0: And then I think I would also say uh, the weather app it's a good combination with the maps app yes yes
1: it, it's just it's just good to be able to to get a glimpse of what they predict the weather will be over the next few days or so uh, you know my office is a prefab unit off of our garage uh, someday we we plan to replace it with something you know uh, better built or whatever uh, but you know it, it can tend to leak a little bit when there's rain coming so it's good to be able to Looking like, oh, rain's coming. Make sure I'm prepared for that. So it's, <laughs> it's really good to have that, or to know, like you know, how long before this heat wave is going to break? It's got you know, it's so hot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. So, last question of the quick fires is, what makes you happy?
1: What makes me happy? Um, ultimately, is serving people. Uh, I, I think. I think one of the things that's really uh, was an eye-opening thing. I think being a parent uh, really brought this home for me. Yeah. Um, Whatever is going on in life, it's never about you. It's about the people around you and how you can help them. And when you give into that idea of, of serving others, you find the sense of fulfillment and happiness are much, much easier to come by. Because it's not about you. It's about everyone else and how you help them. And that just feels so much more fulfilling.
0: That's so powerful. Thank you. That's a great answer. Um, Now, I would love to give you um, the last two questions. And I would love to ask you to give one question for the creative family that they can answer below the post of your episode. And I would love to give you the chance to ask a question to the next guest of the show without you knowing who it's going to be?
1: Ah, interesting. Um, well, I think the the question I would find uh, interesting to ask the creative community in general is, what makes a cool image? Uh, I think everybody has a little bit different sense of what makes a compelling image? Something really beautiful that will stop them and go, "Oh my god, that's just gorgeous!" Or you know, such a cool idea, or whatever. So, I really, be interesting to hear what other people's perspective on that is. Great uh, for that. Um, and then the question for the next person, um, and following uh, along with critiques, great uh, uh, example. Um, I think I would ask what skill do you not have now that you would really want to build
0: so um, it was amazing to have you on the show Dennis, thank you for this uh, extensive time that we actually spent and uh, for all the insights and uh, your knowledge and the the great stories you shared, Um, I would love to ask you is there anything the listeners can do for you
1: uh, gosh, um you know one of the things I'm always looking for are uh, suggestions for articles uh, what what would, do people want to learn about retouching in photoshop that that I might be able to write an article about so it'd be great It'd be great to get tips about that because, as you know, when you're teaching, it's so hard to figure out what people really want to hear from you.
0: That's good, yeah, we will ask that question in the in the post on uh, on that episode and we will uh, also um connect the the people with you so what is the best way that the audience can reach you or contact you would it be um, linkedin or would it be uh, <clears throat> your email or what what would the best way to maybe connect Pro- to you? Prob-
1: probably my probably my email uh dennis at dunbar com.
0: All right, so we'll put that really to the way, show notes. I,
1: I'm checking that constantly. Uh, I find LinkedIn or uh, Instagram, uh, sometimes I'm I'm not so good about checking on a message there and realize like, oh, this message is a, a week old. I haven't even read it yet. So e- email is, I think, the best way to do it. Wonderful.
0: So we put that uh, to the show notes and to the post of that uh, episode. And hey, Dennis, it was wonderful to connect again and to talk and to have you on the show and thank you so much for uh everything you said
1: well thank you thank you very much it was a pleasure to spend the time with you it's always great to chat with you and i feel very complimented that that you wanted to spend this time with me
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Creative Industry Radio. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and took away some valuable insights into the creative industry. I'd love to hear from you and to continue the conversation. So make sure to leave a comment on the respective show episode post on Instagram and LinkedIn and let us know what you think about the image and the story to it that was shared. And of course, you're welcome to answer the question of today's guest. And if you liked what you heard today and found value in it, why not share the love and forward this episode to a friend or colleague who could also benefit from the content. Your support means the world to me and a subscription to this podcast would be greatly appreciated. So until next time, keep being creative and stay tuned for more episodes of Creative Industry Radio. This is your host Jan signing off.